Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And we've seen a little bit of snow lately, haven't we? (laughs) So this always reminds us that he washes our sins away white as snow. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. You know, we've sung also about God's mercy. And when the word mercy is there in the text of what we're singing, I just think there it is, God's compassion, God's goodness to guilty and pitiful people. (laughs) And God's mercy is real, right? It really happens to us. We can thank him for that. We do not stand in our own righteousness. We stand washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and upon his righteousness being credited to our account. So we thank God for this. We thank you for your the blessedness of your lives connected with our lives and that you are supporting us as missionaries to go work in Bible translation. Thank you for that. Thank you for your prayers faithfully that we've heard of faithfully week by week. And, and now even this past week, a special week of prayer that's really exemplary. I just want to go tell all the other churches about your church when it comes to that. Seriously. Um, it's a real need in our culture, in our, in American churches. And so thank you for being a good example of that. And so we are thankful for your support and your prayers. Um, the, the prayers are the support. The financial support is there as well. And we, we are very appreciative that your church was key in bringing us to a point where we had been on the road for quite a while. And then uh, your church took us on and it really was encouragement and really just uh, brought about the rest of the support we needed. And uh, we do have some support need. We'll be getting into our churches, Lord willing, this year. And we'll be probably seeking some new churches, but the Lord has provided for us. And, and even as last week, after we had received an offering from a church, I could say, God had caught us up on our bills. <laughs> and uh, you know how, uh, what a blessing that is when you come to those times in your life where you're trying to um, catch up and, you know, the Lord has done that for you. So may the Lord do that for you as well. And he knows your need. I'd ask you to turn to Luke 10. Chapter uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, as just a really opener verses. Luke 10, 23 to 24. Um, in August of 2021 at Bible Center National, we had the privilege of hosting three believers from Israel who taught us several, uh, taught several of us uh, a two and a half week Hebrew language immersion course to improve our reading comprehension and understanding as we work with Old Testament translation projects. Now, I assure you, if any, if Hebrew speakers had been in our midst, we would have sounded worse than kindergartners. <laughs> but we were learning really a new methodology of, of, of hearing Hebrew spoken and learning to speak it so that it will help us with our reading comprehension. And it really did work. <laughs> uh, there's much to work on. But the Lord blessed us with uh, those believers coming to help us. And one of the things that really made that time special was the chance to hear from each other our testimonies. We got to hear their testimonies, how they as Jews had come become believers that Jesus is the Messiah. And also to hear how the Lord was leading them to reach out to the nations through the Hebrew language. And they have a ministry, uh, Hebrew for the Nations 
and they are helping translators and consultants learn Hebrew or learn it better so that the translation of the scripture can be spread about through the earth. They actually do host sometimes translators or consultants in their um, context in Jerusalem to learn um, Hebrew in this way. And so very thankful for the ministry of these believers. And they were also excited to hear our testimonies of the Lord saving us and leading us into service for him. And as I gave some of my testimony, I began with reading these two verses, Luke 10, 23 to 24. Jesus, turning to the disciples, said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So, and as I shared my testimony of the value of the Gospels, and now the Lord had gotten me back into the Gospels previously to that, I mentioned that I, I thought of how now that I'm back in the Gospels, I dare say, I never want to leave them again. And now that doesn't mean that I won't also be in other parts of Scripture, but rather that I am always, in a sense, holding a Gospel in my hand. And why would I want to do that? Because of the kind of thing that is happening in the first part of verse 23. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Oh, I'm one of his disciples, and that's what I need, and that's what I want. That's what I love. Is it not what you love to see the Lord turning to you personally and to hear the Lord speaking to you privately? Isn't that such a blessing and so needed day by day? Of course, the Lord speaks to us through all of the scripture, which he gave us in many portions and in many ways, but now written as the book of Hebrews states in its opening words, but then makes a contrast that now God has spoken to us there in Hebrews chapter one, we have this contrast that though God spoke in many portions and in many ways, now God has spoken us to us by a son, literally, in that it was not the prophet, a prophet, but it was a son, that is his son, Jesus Christ, God himself. And what an important distinct dis, distinguishing mark this is is it not there are religions that claim that jesus was a prophet and they regard him as such but they do not regard him as the son of god as deity himself but god has revealed himself through his son jesus coming and being in our midst you know i i don't know if you've started to watch or i've seen the chosen I don't know, maybe I just get a little hand. How many of you seen The Chosen? That's the, the new series coming out. Um, of course, my kids, you know, they've seen it before me. And, um, and so I really am kind of impressed with this. And I know that we can, be, we have to be careful about, um, you know, defining our doctrine on visual representation of things. We have the word of God written and established before us. But, but it really is interesting as we get into, as missionaries, get into other cultures, and we sometimes are able to show things visually to help um, people um, see some things, and especially cultural and geographic areas that they wouldn't be familiar with. Um, to, but this 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 series, the chosen, is just really um, alerting me more to this aspect of of, of the hum, the incarnation and the humanity of Jesus, and yet He is God. And what an amazing 
amazing thing. And so, but we have this picture with the four gospels. We have the inspired written word of God to, to define and shape in our minds who he is and what he's like. And these four gospels are like four windows wrapping around a focal point, the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. It's what John was talking about in the epistle of first John, when he said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And that life was revealed and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you that eternal life, that eternal life, which was with the father and was revealed and made known to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made full and that your joy will be made full. The gospel provide for us a clear window into that close connection of the disciples with their Lord. Their eyes seeing him, their ears listening to him, all of his words and their lives knowing his caring and careful interaction with each one of them day after day, week after week. And that's why I especially enjoy the special touch of the, of the Gospels, Jesus with his disciples. And we see that in this passage here of Luke 10, that these words that Jesus had, as he had turned to his disciples and said how blessed that they were, that they had the opportunity to see and hear what they got to see and hear in his being there in, in their presence as the Son of God. We see that this comes after this scenario where disciples were rejoicing that they had uh, certain abilities had been given to them, that they could cast out uh, evil spirits. And what does the Lord say to them? Rather rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven and rejoice that you know the son. Verses 21 and 22. So what a great blessing we have with these four gospels, do we not? And in these Gospels, and as we consider our discipleship, we must, of course, look at the Master. We, we need to see Jesus. You know, there were these Greeks who had arrived in, in Jesus' day, and they wanted, and they said to Jesus' disciples, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And as we consider our, our discipleship, we and our following of the Lord, we want to see Jesus. And there are four points to this message. We want to, first of all, we, want to, we, we ought to see Jesus serving. And as we think about this in a context of, of, of missions, and as we have the four Gospels, and then we move into Acts, as you are in the book of Acts. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus making disciples. And then in Acts, we see Jesus' disciples making disciples. So those disciples, though, had to follow their Lord, and we must follow our Lord. And we must see Jesus first as we are in our discipleship before we can make disciples, because we must make those disciples in the image that he has made them, in the comparison of how he made those disciples. So first of all, we must see Jesus serving, see Jesus as being the servant, yea, the servant of the Lord, as Isaiah um, tells us about. What is the essence of serving? What is the essence of being a servant? Where could we start with an answer to a question like that? Well, actually, I do suggest that we turn back to some of the most beautiful passages in the scripture, and that is in Isaiah, beginning with chapter 42, 
we have these amazing servant songs. Isaiah 42, <clears throat> we are seeing the Old Testament predictions of what the Messiah, Jesus, would be who he was and what he would be like. Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. I wrote in my Bible beside that, thank you. <laughs> he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. We see that Jesus is that model servant. Yea, he was that servant of the Lord spoken of here in Isaiah in passages in 42 or verses in chapter 42 for chapter 49, chapter 50 and 52 to 53. First of all, his life is characteristically pleasing to the Lord. Here, the Lord God says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Oh, he's, his life was characteristically pleasing, and it was always pleasing to the Lord God. This is the kind of servant Jesus was. But also his character is humble. As we look at Jesus, we see humility. We see that he was all-powerful. We see that he could command 10, how many legions of angels did he say? I think it's 12,000 legions of angels. He could command and rescue himself, but he did not. He had all this power, and, and, and yet he was meek. He was humble. We are, we are directed to this humility of Christ in Philippians 2, chapter 2. This first aspect of, of Jesus being someone who would make disciples, he is himself a servant. We see Jesus serving. His life is characteristically pleasing to God. His character is humble, and his manner is gentle and compassionate. As we read, he does not... as a bruised or sort of half broken reed. He doesn't break it off. He doesn't extinguish the dim, dimly burning wick. Oh, the patience and goodness of God to give us yet another chance. Many times we are truly dominated by grace. We thank him for it. This is the servant of the Lord. This is what the disciples were to be looking at and seeing and desiring to be like the servant of the Lord. We see also in Isaiah 49, another passage that is one of these servant songs. We see further description of, of, of this servant who was always obedient, always pleasing to the Lord. And yet, did he face discouragement as a human? Verse 4, four Isaiah 49, 4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment or justice is with the Lord and my work with my God. Though He says, though I have intensely and faithfully labored, where are the results? 
And yet surely the Lord knows he has my timesheet. He has the logbook and the recompense or reward for me, for my work is with him. And also this too, verse five, it says, and now the Lord, now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. My God is my strength. So there it is. There's the potential discouragement and the weariness that we see that we read about in the gospels of Jesus as a human. And yet, did he ultimately despair? That temptation to despair or discouragement was there. And yet, what was his response? The Lord is my strength. This is the servant of the Lord. And also in verse six, the Lord God says, is it, is it, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you <clears throat> a light of the nations or the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. <clears throat> the Lord says, the Lord God says, I will reward you not just with a restored Israel, but also to make you a light to all the nations everywhere, and you will be their salvation. What an amazing position as servant the Lord occupied with his ever pleasing the Lord, with his ever being humble, ever compassionate and Gentile, gentle to Gentiles, and to respond with the potential discouragements that the Lord was always his strength and that the Lord would reward him with the nations. The nations who are alive here today in Akron and in Grand Rapids, Michigan, as well as in Africa. <clears throat> we come to Isaiah 50 as well. Another servant song, Isaiah 50 verses four to nine. We won't read all of all the verses, but <clears throat> with as a, as a servant of the Lord, how did, how did he do it? How would he survive as a servant of the Lord? Well, verse four, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So he himself was learning from God the Father. He was waking up morning by morning. He would go out there in that place of solitude, morning by morning, and hear the voice of the Lord speaking to him. What a blessing this is. What a great example this is to us. In verses five to six, he says, I was not rebellious. He says, I did not resist. I even did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This is the plight of the servant of the Lord. But servant of the Lord, how can you handle that kind of treatment? Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Because the Lord, the master, the highest boss, God, Jehovah, the I am, will help me. Therefore, I won't be ashamed, says the servant of the Lord. And so we see that this is the person who stepped in to the Gospels, this servant of the Lord. So we see Jesus serving and being the servant of the Lord. But secondly, we see Jesus 
saving, as being the Savior. And as being the Savior, and in making disciples, we can see that as we begin to read through the Gospels, and especially in those early chapters of the Gospels, we find that there was a certain priority that Jesus had in his saving ministry. His preaching was priority. He prioritized the saving message of faith that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We see that often there's this uh, reference to the healing ministry of Jesus. And then, and yet we come to Luke, and if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 4, verses 40 to 44, but we won't read all of those verses. But what we have is this contrast that though he had been healing many and was very popular with his healing ministry, yet when he came to verse Luke 4, verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So this was priority, that of preaching the message. The healing was was there, and it was his goodness and compassion, but the message was priority to deliver them eternally from their sins. So we see that his preaching was his preaching was priority, but also when he did perform miracles, his compassion was courageous because he was not afraid to stand up to the Pharisees and these religious leaders that would put a pressure on him and that would ultimately lead to his death. He was courageous. He was willing to stand up against them when there was someone who needed to be healed on a Sabbath day. His compassion was courageous. How often we might be tempted to withdraw our compassion because of some situation or scenario where we might be looked upon, frowned upon, and or rejected in some way. Let us remember that as our Lord was serving and saving, his compassion was courageous. So his preaching was priority, his compassion was courageous, but also his his seeking and searching was intentional. As we see him saving, we find out that as someone who's making disciples, he's intentional about his searching. Remember that the story was Zacchaeus. And Luke 19.10 concludes that for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We see also this um, illustrated for us in a number of ways in Luke 15, that he was looking, that he, that the father is looking and seeking that one lost sheep and, and searching for that one last lost coin and, and, and waiting for that one lost son. His searching was intentional. So we see that Jesus, we see Jesus serving, we see Jesus saving. Of course, most importantly in his saving role was that his death was necessary and his resurrection. But his death was necessary to be our Savior and to his work of saving. I want to go back to some of those servant songs again, as you know it most. Isaiah, probably most, Isaiah 53. And we see that Jesus is that servant who was suffering and saving us. 
in Isaiah 53, which actually the, the passage really begins Isaiah 52, 13 to 15. But as we come to chapter 53, we see that this was all done in our place. He, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We turned away. We went to our own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is our sufficient, complete Savior. We praise God. His death was necessary in his resurrection for our salvation. His death secured the full payment of all our sins. There's nothing that we can add to it for the salvation of our souls. There's nothing I can add today, even as a believer. He accomplished it all. Praise the Lord. But also, we see Jesus shepherding. As Jesus is making disciples, we see also that we want to see Jesus shepherding as being the shepherd of the sheep. And as Jesus shepherds, and as I go back to thinking about my time with the Lord in the morning, and I'm going through the Gospels, and it's rich, there's especially that element of Jesus shepherding us, right? There's that counseling going on. It's like, I messed up a bunch, you know? So it's like, okay, I need the counsel, Lord. <laughs> okay, here I am, I again... Um, and Lord, I need, I need counsel. And what does he counsel us about? And what, does he, what did he counsel Mary and Martha about? He had counsel for them about the word of God and about prayer and about communion with him. We see there in Luke 10, if you would turn to Luke 10, what a blessing it is to, to meditate on this passage. One time I just, I often like to photocopy parts of my Bible because that's, the way I see it when in my morning devotions. And so I'll photocopy that and I'll take that with me. And I remember once just, I don't know, a couple of years ago, just had that photocopy of this passage of Luke 10, 38 uh, to 42 of Jesus with Mary and Martha and just began to really think through the whole passage. What a blessing and rich blessing it was. But what we see here is that, that Jesus is, is counseling Mary and Martha, he's, he's pointing to Mary and saying, look, she's chosen the good part to sit at my feet and commune with me. And Martha, you need to see that. <laughs> and you need to do that. Mary had chosen that good part that would not be taken away from her. Jesus counsels us that his word and prayer, communion with him, are vital. They are life-giving. And necessary. Jesus also counsels us about other things through, through, the, through the Gospels, right? He counsels us about material things, how to relate to material things. This is huge. You know, Matthew 6 is a very developed passage about the fact that we cannot serve God and material things. They cannot be, we can, both of those together cannot be our master. We cannot serve one and, and serve the other as well. Only one is going to be the master. And God himself is the one who provides all of our material things. And what is it? The Lord comes to down in, in Matthew uh, 6, 33. What is the conclusion he comes down to then? So seek first of priority, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus is counseling his, his disciples about material things. So we see that not only that, that Jesus is counseling about the vital aspect of the word of God in prayer, 
also about such things as our everyday life with material things and needs. Jesus is also counseling about persecution and perseverance. Luke, turn, I'm sorry, to John. You know that those that discourse of Jesus with the disciples um, just before his departure, and John has this uh, most developed um, account of the of those last hours with with the Lord. We see that in John 14 to 16, Jesus is counseling them, especially warning them of the evil and the world that would persecute them. We see in uh, chapter 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were not, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So our, our union with Christ and, and his preceding what the world does to us, this is a comfort to us. This is an understanding of our unit, union with Christ. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things, these things, will, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. These things, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1, we'll stop there. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. You see, Jesus making disciples. He's, he's making us disciples. He's, he's, he's the servant of the Lord. He comes submitted to the Father, to the Master, to the Lord, Adonai. And in that role, then he comes and he saves and he submits him, his life to the death on a cross to wash all our sins away, to suffer, to give his life sacrificially for us. And then we see him shepherding and counseling his disciples, making those disciples into what they ought to be. He's counseling them about prayer and the word. He's counseling them about material things and the, the danger of these things becoming our ruler and serving those things counsels us as well about persecution and perseverance. And I was just in Eurasia uh, with this Muslim taught um, project and began to, uh, I was I had the opportunity to hear testimonies uh, of these believers. Many of them had, uh, they're coming from Islamic context. It may not be as radical as some of the other countries, but, but it is still their religion. It is still uh, why they will be persecuted if they turn to Christianity. It's still where Muslims uh, turn. They turn to the Quran. There are Muslims who will turn to the Quran for learning about God, even if they don't practice all the prayers. So this is a Muslim country. 
And these, these folks that we're working with for a Bible translation project, many of them came to Christ uh, in, the, in, the, in the 90s. God was doing a work, of course, what with the Soviet Union, the breakup of the Soviet Union, and its hold on, on this particular country, and uh, communism, and what it had tried to do to stamp out um, true worship of God, and you had this elements of Islam as well. And now these folks, God has saved them. He's delivered them out of Islam. And, and now their, their children are, are, are getting saved and their, and their grandchildren are saved. And now here, these 30 years later, they're ready to have a Bible in their own language. And, and what an amazing opportunity I had to hear testimonies of how they had endured, persevered persecution. And right now, they said the government is not, they're in unregistered churches, but the government has pretty much left them alone. The, rec, the government has recognized their, um, that they're good people <laughs> in the community. But what will happen? What will happen in the future? Will this always be their, their, their path? They need a Bible. They need a Bible to take with them as they flee what will come. So Jesus counsels us about persecution and perseverance. And lastly, we see Jesus sending. We've seen him serving, saving, shepherding, and sending. And I really don't try to alliterate all my messages, but it just fell this way. And we see Jesus as being the sender. And what's really amazing, is it not, are these great commission passages that we come to at the end of each gospel. And, you know, I often felt like I didn't know what to think a lot about John's com- commission passage, right? John 20, 21, and if you would turn there, because it's, it's not as developed as the other passages, right? Well, John's gospel really does come later on after the other gospels. And we have Matthew's great commission passage, and we have Mark's, and we have Luke's. God is now providing us something special that John would be given to John for us. In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. I also send you. And as we think upon that, we realize that there's this comparison going on. The Father has sent the Son. And with that sending was an authority that the Father had, and Father had given to the Son and had commanded him with the Father's authority. There is a comparative authority here. And we know from Matthew's Great Commission passage that Jesus says, all power has been given unto me, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. So you disciples, you go and you preach that message with authority and with conviction and persuasion because it's binding. They receive it, they receive eternal life. They reject it unto their own damnation. It is a serious matter. But also 
Jesus provides a comparative assistance. We have the Spirit of God. Even as he had the Spirit of God descend upon him at his baptism, he was filled with the Spirit, always, always did those things that pleased the Father. The Spirit was given unto him without measure. We also were given that as in the same passages in John, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus is telling his disciples, the helper's coming, the comforter's coming, the teacher's coming. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. The Lord has provided us the same assistance by the Spirit of God. And also, finally, Jesus models a comparative activity. And we see this from John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, that Jesus had completed the activity given unto him by the Father, that he would give to people his word. He would give to his people God's word. And Jesus says, I have given to them your word. And we also see Jesus, what? Praying. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his people. And so he, this comparative activity is, is the word and prayer that as Jesus did that, that is our model as well. We, of course, find that in Acts 6-4, that the disciples then were, were prioritizing as leaders in their role in the prayer and the ministry of the word. This is our activity. What a blessed church it is to have leadership that you have here that would guide you to pray and in the ministry of the word and to prioritize that. And that you would be those who would support, <laughs> that you would provide the context where they are able to do that. You know, as we moved up to Michigan about five years ago from South Carolina, South Carolina had been really our kind of our furlough um, stomping grounds, you might say. And, and, and so we had been there in South Carolina, but then we moved um, up to Michigan about five years ago. And as we were began to get involved in a church, um, then we began to help with Wednesday night outreach um, with the, the young people that are being brought in from the neighborhood and also the, the church young people. And and you know, Wednesday night, of course, is is often the, the midweek prayer service, is it not? And uh, but there are those of us who are also serving in those other capacities. And and though there is prayer of course, uh, that we're doing personally and that the church is providing on the Lord's day, yet I sensed a great need. I, I wasn't really regularly praying with other church people because I was serving. And finally, I had to do something. <laughs> I had to, so I was able to um, connect with an older man in our assembly and I ask, and he lives in the town where uh, the church is located. And so I pick him up and we go to the church early on Sunday morning and we go before the Sunday school hour and we pray. And I needed that. He didn't necessarily need it. He's able to attend on Wednesday night for the prayer meeting time, but I needed it. I, I had to request that someone go and go with me and pray. Of course, we have our family times of prayer. We have our personal times of prayer. We have opportunities to do this with brothers and sisters together from time to time, but however it is that you need to do it, you need to do it. And if you need to arrange something or ask for some kind of an arrangement, this is so important. Our life, our life is God's. How can we live it without him?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of your great goodness to us. Thank you for Falls Berean Bible Church and what you have established here. And now, Lord, we, we are in need of you for your making us to be the disciples that you want us to be, that you, are, you have given your life for, that you have given your word and your spirit to us for, that we might be made into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for this great, glorious work that you're doing in our lives. We're not worthy. We're sinful. But we thank you, O Lord, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore us to fellowship with you, to strengthen us, to give us Christian disciplines that will fill our lives with joy gladness, and obedience. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.